0: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend ear-lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and literal Georgianologist. Coming at you hot on this day after Mother's Day when I am recording this episode. Uh, A new volume is about to begin, Volume 3, the third and final volume of the Mary Shelley classic, Frankenstein, and uh, I'm excited to dive in. I'm annoyed at my cat today. Well, I've been annoyed at my cat for several weeks, months now, because some, my cat's personality changed and not for the better. The reason I so infrequently mention my cat, my cat's name is Alfalfa, is because up until several months ago, the cat was not annoying like the dogs. Now the cat is super annoying. What changed? I will tell you. Martha bought for the cat several months ago some dry food, okay? We have up to this point in the cat's life, given the cat wet food. The cat, you know, is somewhat indifferent to the wet food. We'll eat it because he needs to eat, but doesn't, you know, and doesn't complain about it, doesn't talk shit about it. We give him different flavors. We buy high quality stuff. We're like, here's your, here's your cat food. He's like, I can take it or leave it, you know? Eventually I'll take it because I'm hungry. So I don't know what got into Martha's head, but she saw she bought the, the cat a bag of dry food as a sort of, I don't know, treat or something, a compliment, something, a little snacky to go with the wet food, the cat has become a total fucking junkie for the dry food. The cat who ignored me for the first 10 years of his life now every day looks at me with tears in his eyes and says, please, 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 I just need a hit, please, I just need a hit. He's like rubbing against me. He's staring at me. He's mewling. And then as soon as I say, okay, fine, I'll stand up and I'll walk to the laundry room where we keep the dry feet. The cat runs ahead of me, looks back over his shoulder like, are you coming? Are you coming? Please, please. And I can't deny the cat. So the cat has become just a crackhead for this dry food, and it's so annoying. I mean, I know the obvious solution is take away the crack. Maybe that's the solution, but I just feel bad. It's the only thing the cat has ever loved in his life, is dry cat food. Holy shit does this cat love dry cat food. It never stops. It's like me with hint of lime Tostitos. It's that bad. Both of us are getting, you know, are putting on weight. Both of us have that same glazed look in our eyes. I see myself reflected in this cat. It's atrocious. The last thing I want to see reflected is myself. You know? I'm opening the book. Frankenstein. Volume 3. And before I do, I just want to acknowledge, because I mentioned it is Mother's Day. And I think you all know this, but on Mother's Day, what do we do? We celebrate our mothers and the mothers in our lives. I celebrated my wife. My kids celebrated my wife. And then, you know, of course, I'm thinking about my own mother and as I sit here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, I don't know if you know or not, but Jill Schwartz is my mother. And so this is her titular library. And I felt bad saying the word tit in conjunction with my mother just now. So I don't know if that's for you. You know what the fuck that is. Volume three, chapter one. Day after, and remember, now Frankenstein is about to build the she-buddy, okay? So we're hearing this in Frankenstein's voice. Day after day, week after week, passed away on my return to Geneva, and I could not collect the courage to recommence my work. I feared the vengeance of the disappointed fiend, yet I was unable to overcome my repugnance to the task which was enjoined me. I found that I could not compose a female without again devoting several months to profound study and laborious disquisition. I had heard of some discoveries having been made by an English philosopher, the knowledge of which was material to my success. Now, if ever there was a place to have a footnote, that should be the place, because it sounds like maybe they're talking about a real person, this English philosopher. I'd love to know who who he's talking about. Uh, And I sometimes thought of obtaining my father's consent to visit England for this purpose. But I clung to every pretense of delay and shrank from taking the first step in an undertaking whose immediate necessity began to appear less absolute to me. Well, I was watching Queen of the South. Have you seen that TV series? I guess it. I don't think it's not a new TV series. There's four seasons of it. I'd never heard of it. I started watching it. It's about a lady, a lady who rises from humble origins to head a drug cartel. Okay, and one of the things that happened yesterday is she's just starting her journey, and she's got this book filled with valuable information, and she's trying to extort money for it. And the guy says, uh, "If I give you the money, how do I know you won't?" Come back to me later, and and and, or release this information to the public. She says, because you'll kill me, and I'm afraid. I don't want to be killed. And he's like, but the further we get away from things, the less we fear them, right? So that's what it seems like. Frankenstein is saying right here: the immediate necessity of his work began to appear less absolute to me. He's got a little distance from the big buddy, and he thinks, oh, maybe you know, maybe I can piddle paddle here a little bit. Piddle paddle. I don't know where I came up with that little phrase to describe delay, but piddle paddle. Oh, God damn it. Now I have to look up piddle paddle. I mean, I've never said those words together. And and why did that immediately spring to mind? Piddle paddle. I'm on the, uh, Jesus. The act of doing anything other than what you should be doing. Wasting time doing unnecessary things that will inevitably cause you to arrive late to an event. So piddle paddle. I guess I'm using it correctly. I didn't even know I knew that phrase. Yeah, here we are. Um, so, you know, he's, he's piddle paddling. You know, he's there in Geneva. He feels, you know, he feels bad. He wants to do it. He's got to do it. But, you know, a change indeed had taken place in me. My health, which had hitherto declined, was now much restored and my spirits when unchecked by the memory of my unhappy promise rose proportionally. My father saw this change with pleasure, and he turned his thoughts towards the best method of eradicating the remains of my melancholy, which every now and then would return by fits and with a devouring blackness overcast the approaching sunshine. Well, that, you know, if only it were so easy to eradicate the remains of melancholy. Jeez, I've been trying to do that with SSRIs for decades. And, I don't, and they don't have those. We talked about that before. I wonder if Mary Shelley had depression. I feel like, you know, melancholy and moroseness and sadness uh, run through this book. I wonder how familiar she was with those concerns. I mean, you got to imagine any poet of the era was depressed. Because de- poets of every era are depressed. Percy Bissy Shelley... So, I mean, had to have been depressed, right? He died young. I don't know why he died young, but... Oh, what did, what did he, why did he die? Let's look it up. All right, I'm back on the research machine. Let me just crank it up again. Um, how did he die? What, death, cause of death. What does it say? Oh, he drowned. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Shelley drowned in his own sailing boat, the Don Juan. Well, that's an interesting titled boat. For a married man, the Don Juan, while returning from Livorno to La Ricci in the late afternoon of July 8th, 1822, during a storm, he was a month short of his 30th birthday. Huh. Interesting. And then somebody got his heart wait. What? Hold on. Now. All right. Now. Uh, I got to find where. Uh, Forgive me for delaying, but I didn't know about this. So did Mary show? Okay. At the end of August, Percy Bissy Shelley spoke to me from the grave via Twitter. On Mary Shelley's birthday, i tweeted that she'd outgot us all by keeping Shelley's heart after he died. This is from AnnMazola.com. Up pops Shelley to correct me. No, he's, uh, she says, the heart couldn't have survived the heat. She kept something she thought was the heart. So did Mary Shelley really have the heart? Okay, so I'm just skipping down. Skipping down, skipping down. Wait, what? Thomas Hardy's heart was cut out to be buried in his hometown of Stinford, Dorset, but was then partly eaten by a cat. This episode has just gone down the macabre. So, there are hearts here uh, that we weren't anticipating. The heart of Percy Bysshe Shelley and of Thomas Hardy. Um, So, Mary keeping her husband's heart wouldn't therefore have been considered quite as bizarre as it would today. His body and his two sailing companions were found 10 days after his ship uh, capsized. Perry's body had, what, had to be burnt where he'd been temporarily buried in Via Reggio. His friends, including Byron, had a portable cremation built so the only portions that were not consumed were some fragments of bone the jaw, but what surprised us all, meaning this is from Trelawney who was there, was that the heart remained intact. In snatching this relic from the fiery furnace, my hand was severely burnt. Okay. So then they fought about who should have it. Uh, Trelawney gave the heart to Lee Hunt after he supposedly, and I'm, I'm just quoting from Anna Mazzola here, uh, begged for it. When Mary wrote to Hunt to ask him for it, he refused, telling her that his love for his friend (laughs) negated the claims of any other love. Okay, Byron weighed in and eventually Hunt gave Mary the heart. The heart, however, after Shelley's remains were interred, remained with Mary. A New York Times article theorized it may have been his liver. It was probably just part, according to Twitter Mary Shelley, of calcified something. It could have been anything. But Mary thought it was the heart, and she kept it with her throughout her life. Okay, I mean, I think we've taken enough of a detour, but an interesting detour nonetheless. Filled with the macabre. You know, down in Georgia, where I have a home, uh, there are ghost tours that ramble through the streets of Savannah. On nights, you will see them in packs, walking through the parks and the, the garrulous heads of these tours pointing out various haunted houses. I know it doesn't, I know that's not a Georgia accent. I don't know what it is, but that's going to be my default Georgia accent as it has been and will remain until I actually understand what a Georgia accent is. Anyway, we are talking about the depression and it would return by fits. At these moments when he's depressed, I took refuge in the most perfect solitude. I passed whole days on the lake alone in a little boat. Just like, I mean, the foreshadowing is terrible. Just like Percy is going to die on. Watching the clouds and listening to the rippling of the waves, silent and listless. But the fresh air and bright sun seldom failed to restore me to some degree of composure. And on my return, I met the salutations of my friends with a readier smile and a more cheerful heart. I mean... What? A boat? A heart? Both in the same paragraph? After we've discussed Percy's death and his calcified something or another? It was after my return from one of these rambles that my father, calling me aside, thus addressed me. I'm happy to remark, my dear son, that you have resumed your former pleasures and seem to be returning to yourself, and yet you are still unhappy and still avoid our society. For some time I was lost in conjecture as to the cause of this, but yesterday an idea struck me, and if it is well founded, I conjure you to avow it. Reserve on such a point would be not only useless, but draw down treble misery on us all. I trembled violently at his exordium, and my father continued, I confess, my son, that I have always looked forward to your marriage with our dear Elizabeth as the tie of our domestic comfort and the stay of my declining years. You were attached to each other from your earliest infancy. You studied together and appeared in dispositions and tastes entirely suited to one another. But so blind is the experience of man that what I conceive to be the best assistance to my plan may have entirely destroyed it. You, perhaps, regard her as your sister, without any wish that she might become your wife. Yeah, you just thought of that, Einstein? Hey, Einstein, you just thought of that? They were raised together as brother and sister, and therefore he may think of her as his sister? You just thought of that, Einstein? Yeah. No shit. Of course. When you, raised, when you were raised every day with somebody, blood relative or not, It is probably very hard to think of them as anything other than either fraternal or sororal, you know? At worst, a cousin? I mean, they were brought up together. That's why it was so creepy to begin with That They were like, oh, we're going to marry these two off. Nay, you may have met with another whom you may love, and considering yourself as bound in honor to Elizabeth, this struggle may occasion the poignant misery which you appear to feel. Um yeah, maybe. I don't know. Let's take a break. We'll ponder, you know, he's got to be relieved that that's what he's talking about, you know, some chick, as opposed to the fact that he created a a monster. And look, am I denigrating Elizabeth by calling her some chick? Of course I am. But it's all in fun, because you know what I'm all about. Respect for women. Back in a moment, here on Obscure. Back on Obscure, Dad is uh, struggling to understand Frankenstein's, Victor Frankenstein's, depression, recurring and sporadic though it may be. And he thinks it's maybe because uh, Victor Frankenstein feels obligated to marry Elizabeth. And let's see what he says. My dear father, reassure yourself I love my cousin tenderly and sincerely. I never saw any woman who excited, as Elizabeth does, my warmest admiration and affection. Gross. I mean, gross, you know, just the term like excited, you know, ill. You know, they grew up together. Ill. My future hopes and prospects are entirely bound up in the expectation of our union. This is the father speaking. The expression of your sentiments on this subject, my dear Victor, give me more pleasure than I have for some time experienced. If you feel thus, we shall assuredly be happy, however present events may cast a gloom over us. But it is this gloom which appears to have taken so strong a hold of your mind that I wish to dissipate. Tell me, therefore, whether you object to an immediate solemnization of the marriage. Okay, I get it. I see. Tell me, therefore, whether you object to an immediate solemnization of the marriage. I see where this is going. He's going to marry Liz. Liz is going to marry Vic. They're going to get married. Big Buddy's going to get mad. Where's my she-buddy? You have a she-buddy. Where's my she-buddy? And what's he go- we know Elizabeth dies. But what we didn't know until this point is that Elizabeth is going to be slew by the hand of the Big Buddy. Almost certainly. I mean, it makes sense. We're pointing towards the inevitable, right? As good stories do, they point towards the inevitable. So there are two possible inevitabilities, either of them damning for Victor Frankenstein. The first, as I just said, is that the big buddy is going to slew Elizabeth and she will be slewn. The second is that Victor Frankenstein inadvertently kills Elizabeth with with his own hand. Either way, it is Victor's handiwork that is going to doom Elizabeth. And we may just start calling her poor Elizabeth the same way we refer to poor William and poor Justine, even though she is not yet dead. But we know she's going to die because he told us earlier in the book, we have been unfortunate and recent events have drawn us from that everyday tranquility befitting my years and infirmities. You are younger, yet I do not suppose, possessed as you are of a competent fortune, that an early marriage would at all interfere with any future plans of honor and utility that you may have formed. Um, in other words, you know, getting married, it's not going to derail your career, dude. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine, bro. You got money in the bank, bro. Do not suppose, however, that I wish to dictate happiness to you, or that a delay on your part would cause me any serious uneasiness. Interpret my words with candor and answer me. I conjure you with confidence and sincerity. I listened to my father in silence, Mr. Carter. I'm sorry. I listened to my father in silence and remained for some time incapable of offering any reply. I revolved rapidly in my mind a multitude of thoughts and endeavored to arrive at some conclusion. Alas, to me, the idea of an immediate union with my Elizabeth was one of horror and dismay. I was bound by a solemn promise, which I had not yet fulfilled and dared not break. Or if I did, what manifold miseries might not impend over me and my devoted family? Right, that's what I was saying. Big Buddy's going to come and wring her neck. Could I enter into a festival with this deadly weight yet hanging round my neck and bowing me to the ground? I must perform my engagement and let the monster depart with his mate before I allowed myself to enjoy the delight of a union from which I expected peace. I remembered also the necessity imposed upon me of either journeying to England or entering into a long correspondence with those philosophers of that country, whose knowledge and discoveries were of indispensable use to me in my present undertaking. The latter method of obtaining the desired intelligence was dilatory and unsatisfactory. Besides, I had an insurmountable aversion to the idea of engaging myself in my loathsome task in my father's house, while in habits of familiar intercourse with those I loved. I knew that a thousand fearful accidents might occur, the slightest of which would disclose a tale to thrill all connected with me with horror." I was aware also that I should often lose all self-command, all capacity of hiding the harrowing sensations that would possess me during the progress of my unearthly occupation. I must absent myself from all I loved while thus employed. Once commenced, it would quickly be achieved and I might be restored to my family in peace and happiness. My promise fulfilled, the monster would depart forever." for spicy South America. Remember? Big Buddy's going to South America uh, for reasons which remain unclear other than I guess it's uh, it's slightly populated and there are lots of berries and nettles for him to eat there. Um, so the monster would depart forever or so my fond fancy imaged some accident might meanwhile occur to destroy him and put an end to my slavery forever. Um, yeah, so it sounds like he's gonna go to England, he's gonna do his work there, then he's gonna smuggle the she buddy back or something. I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, I guess that's why you read a book to find out what's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> not to stop every paragraph or so, to conjecture about what's going to happen. And yet, here we are. Because I feel, look, what am I what am I, you know, what's the premise of this of this podcast? If not to read a work of classic literature, and comment on it as I go. Well, I'm commenting it as I go, and maybe that's annoying in the same way that my cat alfalfa is annoying, or maybe not. I don't know. So, you know but, but sometimes when I'm listening back to the podcast, I think to myself, well, you know, there's either too much reading or too much commentating. I never know what the right balance is. I just let my flights of fancy take me wherever they will and hope that you will fly, fly with me. These feelings dictated my answer to my father. I expressed a wish to visit England, but concealing the true reasons of this request, I clothed my desires under a guise which excited no suspicion. Dad, I want to go to jolly old England, Dad. I want to have some fish and chips before I get married, Dad. Before I settle down, I want to stand in a queue, Dad. I clothed my desires in a guise which excited no suspicion, while I urged my desire with an earnestness that easily induced my father to comply. After so long a period of an absorbing melancholy that resembled madness in its intensity and effects, he was glad to find that I was capable of taking pleasure in the idea of such a journey, and he hoped that change of scene and varied amusement would, before my return, have restored me entirely to myself. Dad, I want to go ride the Ferris wheel in England, in jolly old England, Dad. I don't want to meet the queen. The duration of my absence was left to my own choice. A few months or at most a year was the period contemplated. One paternal kind precaution he had taken to ensure my having a companion. Without previously communicating with me, he had, in concert with Elizabeth, arranged that Clerval should join me in Strasbourg. This interfered with the solitude I coveted for the prosecution of my task, yet at the commencement of my journey the presence of my friend could in no way be an impediment, and truly I rejoiced that thus I should be saved many hours of lonely, maddening reflection. Nay, Henry might stand between me and the intrusion of my foe, if I were alone would he not at times force his abhorred uh, presence on me to remind me of my task or to contemplate its progress? What does he mean? Does he mean literally that the big buddy's going to follow him to England? I mean, we know he can climb over mountains and such, but I don't think he can swim the channel. And yet, who knows? Maybe he can. Maybe he'll just swim the channel. You know, people have done it. Why not a big buddy? He can do anything. To England, therefore, I was bound, and it was understood that my union with Elizabeth should take place immediately on my return. My father's age rendered him extremely adverse to delay. Yeah, I mean, the father's old. He's like 37. For myself, there was one reward I promised myself from my detested toils, one consolation for my unparalleled sufferings it was the prospect of that day when enfranchised from my miserable slavery i might claim elizabeth and forget the past in union with her well let's let's stop there why don't we the story moves along from switzerland well from the boat to the northern pole to Geneva, to Ingolstadt, back to Geneva, and now to merry old England where Clerval and Victor Frankenstein are bound. Uh, You know, it's a global tale. It's like Mission Impossible. You know, it just goes from city to city to city, doing the impossible, overcoming all kinds of obstacles to get the treasure. In this case now, the treasure is fair Elizabeth, soon to be poor. Elizabeth, uh, peace of mind is what we are all seeking. Um, we are all attempting to quiet the chatter in our brains—that remonstrating chatter that tells us everything we have done wrong and criticizes everything that we do. And you know, well, you know, how do you quiet it? Well, there's one answer: dry cat food. Dry cat food, apparently is how you quiet those voices, or at least it gives some sort of temporary pleasure. And then you just want more and more and more and more and more. You're always chasing that high, aren't you? Just chasing the dragon. That's what you're doing, baby. You're just chasing that dragon. So, you know, I'm delaying even ending the podcast because as soon as I go out there, my cat's going to look at me and go, come on, man, come on. Um, But fuck it, you know, I got to face the inevitability of my cat looking at me and my dog's pleading with me to, you know, go for a hike or something. God damn it. I hate these animals. So that's it, you know? Happy, uh, day after Mother's Day to those who celebrate. Happy book club, which, uh, is going to take place tonight as I record. So it will have already passed by the time you are listening to this. If you want to join the next book club, you are certainly free to do so. We would be happy to have you and that's it. You know, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna commence the rest of my day. So until next time, you know, tune in for another uh, what addictive episode of Obscure. Uh, but until then, I wish you, a Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein, is produced by Robin Lynn, Mary Shimkin, Jennifer Brennan, and myself, Michael Ian Black, recorded in places as far and wide as California and the wilds of Connecticut and spots in between. Original music by Craig Wedren. Join us at patreon.com slash michaelianblack, where starting at $5 a month, you can support this podcast and get access to all kinds of obscure goodies, including early episodes and writings and musings. There's also bonus podcasts. There is our semi-regular book club. All of it can be yours at patreon.com Ian michaelianblack.